Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. Well, welcome back. Um, we are gathered here together, I guess, once again on Zoom, and um, we've been thinking through different things that we want to wrestle with, and the topic of partiality came out. Partiality, favoritism, implicit, explicit bias, however you want to um, define that term, and it came up in regards to Christian schooling. Is there a time to show partiality? Is there not? Do we show partiality? Is it okay to show partiality? And then how does that play out, whether in our systems, our policies and procedures, or just in our everyday life at Christian schools? So I'm just going to throw out the topic is partiality, and let's see where we go with this one. So, I, okay, Jenny, um, I think we got we to gotta define terms, right? When we talk about partiality, we're putting it in the negative sense because we're not talking about looking at differences in people to give them an advantage. We're, we're saying that are we looking at differences in particular students or particular individuals that is being misused for an advantage maybe for the school or misused uh, in a way that is not giving people an equity, a fair level playing ground. Because the Bible speaks specifically about the idea of showing partiality, all right? Be very careful, don't show partiality. God doesn't show partiality. Um, uh, I was just kind of, you know, looking through some scripture and some verses on partiality. And, and it's, a, it's a very negative concept um, that God looks at all of creation and all of mankind with this uh, equality in a sense that only only God can do, um, that they're all his created beings. But when we begin to do that uh, and begin to look at people and, in a sense, parse them based on, well, this person's got more money than that person does, right? So we move them to the head of the table. Scripture says, don't do that, <laughs> right? Be very careful about doing that. Um, you know, these people look really nice, and so we let them in. Scripture's like, don't do that. You know, we do it in athletics, right? You know, oh, this this person could be a great athlete for our team. You know, let's uh, let them in. And I think from a school standpoint, that's a hard thing to wrestle with because, right, we're, we're an academic institution. So we have certain standards um, that we, you know, say, hey, you have to take these particular tests. And, you know, is your student going to be a, a good fit here? But I think that's that's something that we need to just ask and answer. And I think, you know, it's a good thing that we're bringing up is, um, when do you use things like, you know, exam entrances to get into your school or um, our school is, a, you know, as a covenant school and other schools are different, right? But it's the idea of saying that somebody has to have a personal relationship with the Lord to come into our school. So, so we've got some things that we distinguish between students and families to say yes or no. Uh, is that always showing partiality or not? Um, and then there's other times that we just, we know that partiality is, you know, misused when we see it, when, you know, there's, there's times when a student gets a particular advantage that should be open and available to all students. And we know that, you know, a particular student got it because of who their parents are or things like that. So I think that's just one of the questions that we have to wrestle with is um, if we weren't a Christian institution, maybe partiality wouldn't be a big deal. But when we, when we take on the label as a Christian school, I think we have to wrestle with this from a biblical perspective and say, hey, is this honoring God when we do this? 
right? Is it honoring God when we don't let this particular family in, but we let that particular family in? And I think that's what we're talking about. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. And I think it's yeah. interesting because I think you hit exactly where we probably need to start is in that admissions area, because that's the first part of a Christian schooling, right? Is an admissions. And I will throw out one thing that you said, you, you brought up, are they a good fit? And so I, I want to wrestle a little bit with that terminology because I hear it both in HR and I hear it in missions. They're either a good fit or they're not a good fit, but no one can really give any definition to what fit means. And so does that fit into that? Does that fit into that? Um, that idea of partiality, yes or not? And how does that play out in admissions? Is there a hierarchy of kids we want? Are the ones who can pay the most and donate the most the ones we want? Are the ones who are the highest academic? are the ones we want? Are the legacy kids who were alum the most we want? Where's the partiality breakout and all that? Yeah, I think um, leaning into that, first going back to kind of the biblical mandate, like like Dan said, I think it's important because one of the, I feel like especially given the nature of our conversation, one of the immediate thoughts that could come up is what is the difference between showing right this negative kind of partiality that we may be seeing where we're naturally giving more attention or favor to a particular group and then the reverse of maybe trying to remedy that and it's seeming like well now we're just we're not getting rid of partiality we're just being partial towards um a different group um and it's doing the same thing and now maybe like the majority group is suffering in these different kinds of things and i feel like whenever the bible is speaking about partiality or showing favoritism, there is a sense in which what it's trying to drive us back towards is the elevation of the Imago Day and kind of the deconstruction of earthly definitions of value and importance. And so, right, we live in a culture and a society that has heavily placed um in a very sophisticated system of value and importance, whether it be around wealth, whether it be around gender, whether it be around um, beauty, even how attractive someone is, um, cultural status, all these things. And it's like, you know, for in our particular um, context in Collin County, like it's just, you know, off the roof. And so there's a, there's a sense in which, right. It's, a negatively showing partiality is saying, hey, these things add to one's value and importance in such a way that the decisions that I make, the way I treat them, the way I handle them will be elevated, um, not out of recognition of the Imago Day, but out of all of these other things that have added to their status. Whereas the other side where, you know, we could, where one may try to call it partiality to um, lift up the lowly, so to speak, um, is not doing so out of a, um, a sense of gain, right? So when you look at the way um, Jesus, um, I like to use the word, right? He gave attention, special, maybe special attention to rather than partiality um, to those that were far off and pushed to the side, right? When he asks Zacchaeus to have dinner with him, when he calls Matthew out of the out of the tax collector booth, right? That there's this sense in which he's looking at someone who has um, little earthly clout to offer him, um, and he's he's not seeking their friendship for what he can gain from it, but more so he's seeking out 
friendship and relationship with them for what he can bring to them. And I think there's a difference in that movement when schools um, and entities are strategic about um, lifting up others that are lowly. Um, it's not from a place of showing partiality because what we're essentially acknowledging is, hey, there's a there's a level of rather it be disadvantage or a level of distance that's been created because of the worldly system that we're in that, hey, we're, we're going to jump through those things and, uh, and erase some of these barriers that will keep you from participating in our school and in our program um, that generally the world would put up in front of us. And we're going to say no, because we recognize the Imago Day, even though you may not have all of these um, earthly characteristics that bring value and significance because we recognize and elevate the Imago Day as the utmost importance. Um, there's recognition and there's uh, respect given to that that grants um, people position. Does that make sense? It made sense in my brain when I said it. No, I, I, it does anyway, yes. Imago Day. I think that it it does play out. Dan and I were talking about that earlier because we've had some kids come in, right, Dan, and 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 really wrestle with um with situations of just the value of them as a as as an image bearer, and that they reflect God, and that we we don't always see that. I don't think that's not always how we're portraying it. I remember um walking into Grandma Smith's house and. I saw something that I had never seen before. And I don't know if this is where we're heading or not, but I'd never seen a picture of a black Jesus. And I often, I, 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 it, it got me to thinking, how would, how would that determine how I would measure value if I was an African-American kid and all I ever saw was a portrait of a white Jesus that looked Anglo-Saxon because there's lots of blonde and blue-eyed people that come out of that part of the world you know, sort of deal. How does that, how does that affect how we measure the value of an individual? Um, you know, and how do we, how do we, how does that determine how we, whether, how does that influence how we inadvertently many times exercise that partiality? You know, um, in my culture, the partiality that happens when, as a woman, you look a certain way and you don't look a certain way. You know, you look at um, you look at the big names, and, and I'm talking about not in the United States. In the United States, when when you look at pop culture, you know, and you think of the Latina woman, you think of of someone maybe that looks along the lines of a J Lo or um, a Shakira maybe an Eva Longoria, but go to Latin America and the women that you see that are being portrayed as the ideal do not look typically Latina. They don't typically look like the Hispanic. Um, they don't look indigenous either, which is what you would find in many of those Latin American countries. Um, how does that play into the partiality of it all? And, and again, I don't know if, I don't know why I'm going down this road, but how all that plays out. Important. I think it's important. I think part of the value of what I, I'm hearing you say is partiality, I think in its most destructive uh, sense is very subtle. 
that it's not always something that we're actively, and that's where it gets, um, I think sometimes when it's brought up, um, I think you feel it a little bit more when you're on the one end of it, but then it also can be very elusive and evasive when you're um, being partial because you don't always recognize what you're doing. Um, and part of that is just because naturally as human beings, we like what we like. Um, we like things that we know that we're familiar with, things that are like us, um, people that are like us, who think like us, who like similar things. Um, and so like when you couple that natural inclination, mix that with some of our cultural baggage that we have as American people without intentionality, uh, it's very easy to just go about things in a certain way and never process how that leaves a demographic out. I think one of the things that came to mind when we first brought up this topic was thinking about um, parent participation in um, certain meetings or luncheons or whatever the case may be uh, that we do on campus. And, you know, for a, for a family whose parents are working, you know, um, you know, your ordinary nine to five, um, you know, scheduling a meeting or something to happen during the school day at, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock is going to be really hard for them to make it to. Um, versus maybe if I'm in a family or a household where one parent is working and the other one stays at home, or if I own my own business and I have a little bit more flexibility, um, it may be a lot easier for me to, to make something like that. And so even, even in thinking about, Hey, how are we managing when we schedule, if we, if we really want to be able to reach, you know, all of our families or those families, how are we making sure that we're um, offering something that is available um, to everybody and meets every family's need and circumstance. Um, and so, you know, little things like that, um, if I'm just thinking about, well, this works for most everybody. And then I'm, you know, I'm stepping back and thinking, man, this one family, like they never attend anything. Um, well, maybe it's not just because they don't want to attend or because they don't care. It may just be because they can't um, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't work. And so part of, part of, like I said, part of that combating the partiality going, going back again is um, being attentive to the fact that it's there um, and that it comes natural to all of us. And so we have to, you know, do the work to, to be aware of it. I love the way you, you, you said that it's, it's the subtle things. It reminded me of a quote that I use in, in history of the Holocaust class um, where someone said that the road to Auschwitz was paved by hatred, but it was built by apathy. At least hatred is an emotion. You can do something with it. Apathy is not, it's very, it's subtle. What do you do with it? It's, it's the, the absence of anything. Um, and subtlety is, is like that. Um, it's the absence. Um, and, I, and, and I had never thought of that to Marcus until you just brought it up. What message, what subtle messages are we putting out? You know, we have parent conferences coming up um, and it's only from such a time to such a time. And, and yes, I'll be honest, as a, as a teacher, it is inconvenient 
um, if I have to stay after school to meet with a parent or I have to get here even earlier than usual to meet with a parent. Um, but you, you just convicted me. You know, I think of my mom who was a single mom after dad passed away. Mom had banking hours and mom couldn't just leave the bank. So mom, if mom had to meet with the teachers, it had to be after school. It certainly wasn't going to be before school because, you know, we can only afford one car. Um, and that's not to create a pity party. We were just fine with one car. You can survive with one car. But mom would drop us off at school at 630. You know, my brother was still too young to drive. So before he was able to drive, you know, we had dad's pickup truck that, that my brother inherited, but he wasn't old enough to drive it. So mom had to take us to school. Pickup truck stayed at home. Actually, at that point, that was the only car we had was the pickup truck. And mom would drive the pickup truck and she'd leave us at school at 630 in the morning. There were no teachers at school. There weren't any teachers at school at 630 in the morning. So there, she wasn't going to ask for a parent conference at that time. You know, so her parent conferences were on open house. when We had open house and it, open house was always at night. But you just convicted me. I totally forgot that about my own life, Marcus, until you just brought that up. And it reminds me of something that Dr. Loretz mentioned in the sermon that Jenny sent us earlier this week, or was it at the end of last week, where he talked about what Christian love actually is, what biblical love actually is, how it's anchored in sacrifice. It means disadvantaging myself for the comfort of another. And I guess if we've never been a victim of partiality, and even if we have been victims of partiality, we sometimes forget what that's like. And we forget that even though some people have been victims, those of us, and I'm using the us generally, those of us that have been victims of partiality, we forget what it feels like to be a victim of it. And we inadvertently project that onto someone else. So thank you for convicting me on that. Thanks for allowing the Holy Spirit to use you. Way to go, Tamarcus. <laughs> That's why we do the podcast, right? <laughs> um, you know, I want to go back to, uh, to Jenny's thing, though, because uh, we were talking about good fit from an admission standpoint. And just one of the things you said, because we put good fit, you know, in kind of our super air quotes. Um, but I, I want to kind of wrestle with that idea of, I mean, what what does it mean to be a good fit at your school? I think there's a good and a bad to that. A good fit may mean a family comes in uh, and their student um, tests in a way that they have certain disabilities, right, that you're not able to meet, right? And is it in the best interest of that student to be at your particular school? Well, maybe that's something that you say, well, we're not going to be able to meet the needs of that particular student, you know, and and that might be something, obviously, you know, uh, and and Jenny's been working on this for years, but our school tries to meet the needs of students, uh, even if they have learning differences and learning disabilities, but, you know, you can't meet every student's need from that perspective. Uh, And so maybe that's a particular criteria. Maybe there's a, you know, a testing concept where, this isn't going to be a good fit, but you're right. The, the idea of, you know, they're not going to be a good fit because they're not going to fit into our culture and environment. I think that's one of the things that we, we talk about when we do this, you know, this sense of diversity work is yeah, there, there's going to be a, um, a disruption to your culture by bringing in people that don't look like you, that don't fit into your culture, that don't see that things the same way that you do. And it's going to be right, a better culture because of that. So I think that's part of the, the idea of, you know, why is, why is showing partiality such a, 
um, a dangerous thing, right, is that you get everybody who looks the same, thinks the same, sees the world the same way, right? And we create this silo mentality. And it has to, by definition, it has to breed pride. It, it can't breed humility when everybody around you thinks the same way. In a sense, you have to think that you're right. I mean, I don't surround myself by the, you know, the dumbest people in the world say, well, I'm one of the dumbest people in the world. Here's all my other dumb friends and we're all humility, you know, we're all humble, right? The idea is that when I surround myself by other people who see the world the same way that I do, part of it is a, is a pride aspect on my part. And I think that's, that's why I think the Bible speaks so adamantly uh, in a warning against, you know, showing partiality is that the humility that comes with allowing people who are different than you are, people who have other, maybe they have other struggles or difficulties, right? They also have other gifts that you don't have. Uh, and that's maybe one of the things that, that sometimes we're afraid of is that particular student um, or that particular family or that particular group is going to bring something in that, that we find out that we're actually lacking and didn't even know it. And so I think that's one of the things, you know, Jenny, as you talked about, what does it mean to, you know, to have a good fit? I think that's a great question for a school. And honestly, uh, each individual person to actually wrestle with on their own. What, what do I mean by that? When I say somebody's not a good fit, you know, somebody wouldn't make a good friend for me. Somebody, you know what I mean? Uh, who, who could date my daughter, right? Those are good questions to, to ask and answer. Um, and if you're not coming up with really good biblical sound responses to those things, I think you have to wrestle with that own pride that you have inside that says, I think, you know, the way that I'm doing it or the people that I'm around are better than other people. Thoughts yeah. on that? Well, uh, okay. So I know that Cindy brought up Dr. Crawford Loritz, but actually D Brian Loritz has spoken at my church a few times and he brings that up in, in an idea of when, when people come into our culture, do we expect them to assimilate? And he he brings up Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You're going to have to help me. I didn't grow up in this country, so I watched it a few times, but I don't remember all of it. So you have um, the Will Smith. Okay, good. So you got me, right? <laughs> like who, who is the uncle? What's his name? Okay, yeah, y'all are great. Uncle I remember the uncle, but I don't remember his name. I just remember that. Uncle Phil. Uncle, uncle Phil. Phil. Yes. Uncle Phil. Okay, so you have Uncle Phil who can maintain both sides, right? He's assimilated, but he maintains his culture. Mm. You have Will who is still back in his, was it Philly roots? West, West Philly. Yeah, yep. his, his Philly roots. West and then Carlton, <laughs> so far assimilated that he has, he's kind of lost his culture and identity. Like he's so far assimilated into, into the other. And so as a school, it's that interesting I've question never, of, I, I'm sorry. No, I just I've never thought about that dynamic as much as I've watched that show. <laughs> Yeah, so it's that mm -hmm. idea of as we as we we have students applying to our school, we have families applying to school. Which one of those characters are we wanting to apply mm -hmm. to our school? Which one of those characters are we accepting? Which one of those characters is the good fit for our school? Do we want them mm -hmm. to lose their identity? Do we want them to bring in their identity? Do we want them to grow our identity and culture? And I just thought that was a fascinating um, way to look at a good fit for our admissions processes. Who defines fit? And it, do, do you think that there's a little bit of implicit bias that you might need to check before you say good fit? Um, is there some explicit bias maybe that you've talked through that you need to think through with admissions on that? Yeah, it's a very interesting, and it's not just admissions, it's also HR, 
right? As we're hiring, as we're looking to diversify our faculty and staff, what does it mean when they say, I'm sorry, they're just not a good fit? And I'll push back, what does a good fit mean? Well, we, we can tell if they can work well with students. Well, give me some quantitative or even some qualitative data on that. You know, what, what else is there besides they're not a good fit and we can tell if they can work well with students? What else is there? So it's some of those questions that I think we have to ask ourselves. Yeah, and who, here's the deal, who, who does that? I mean, who, who, who does that at each institution pushes back on those things? Because I think it's easy that if, we're all, if we all look the same and we all have the same ideas to keep on hiring the same people or keep on letting the same students in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So where, where does that outside voice come from if you haven't let somebody in that's different than you are? who's going to raise that concern and say, wait, what about this family? Or, Hey, what about hiring that, you know, second grade teacher or, or, Hey, what about this? I mean, where, where does that pushback come from? So that, right. The idea of what it means to be a good fit. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe that's going to be the best second grade teacher we're ever going to have. And we're not going to hire that particular person because they don't look like everybody else. Well, is, Oh, is that it? Right. Everybody has to be, you know, six, four blonde hair and blue eyed. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Right. I mean, what, what are we talking about? That's the concept that, you know, if you don't have somebody at your school that's kind of pushing back on that um, and asking those questions, I mean, I think that's the first thing, right, is, you know, we know that showing partiality is not good. It can be very dangerous, right? The Bible speaks specifically to that. So who's the one in your institution that's asking those questions? Are we showing partiality, right? Because if, if you're not, right, are you assuming that somebody else is, is one of the things that Right. Maybe there's not that, you know, thorn in your side at your school. Jenny gets to do that here. I think one of the things we might even suggest to them that could be of merit is having some sort of metric that we're holding each other accountable to to remain consistent of like, hey, when we say good fit, these are, you know, five pillars or five characteristics or whatever the case may be that we're we're pointing to so that when we are getting to that to that question and we're saying, hey, we think this is, all right, well, which one is, all right, point to a specific piece of the metric where we see this person falling short of doing this or doing that, because I, I bet what we've come to find in doing that, even in just one cycle, is that there are students who, you know, maybe have hit less markers in that metric that we felt a level of grace and understanding towards um, and other students who maybe when we really look at it, hit the metrics, but right. The way that we've assigned meaning to both of those students are different. Um, And, you know, having something like that to be able to show us like, okay, maybe this is just, maybe this is just me. And the reality is like, I, that is, like I say again, I like I feel like that's a part of being human. I like I feel like part of all of us have been in situations where we've encountered somebody or met somebody, and we were like, I don't know, that person just didn't. They just rubbed me the wrong way, and it's like, well, why? And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just didn't like it, and it's like the, the reality is we don't, we don't have a, a real reason. We just don't. Um, but as an institution, we can't afford to act off of that. Uh, we can't afford to act off of that as individuals either, um, but especially not as an institution. And so having some sort of accountability that would be able to check ourselves would be very helpful. So if we, we take it from admissions and then we go into the classroom, 
into the classroom teaching, the, the curriculum, the narratives that we're reading and that we're looking at? Is there a place where we struggle with showing partiality, do you think, as we teach the students that God has entrusted to us to educate? For sure, because every teacher, I, I would think, let me not generalize, I can tell you that as a teacher, I have to constantly battle against teaching only the things that I really enjoy teaching. So I have to take a look at, at I might not in, you know, I have to, yeah, I have to battle that. I don't think it's natural for us to go against what we naturally like doing or like studying. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I always use an example of, um, I remember teaching a American history class and we were probably it's my first year teaching it. We're probably halfway through the first semester and a student raised their hand and she asked, when are we going to learn about female, like women in history? Um, and, you know, as I stop and I look through, you know, all of the curriculum and different things in the book, there were, you know, there were a number of instances where um, women's contributions could have been highlighted that I just, didn't bring up and again to the elusiveness, right? It wasn't me saying, ah, that's a woman, I'm gonna skip it. Um, it was more so a, well, I don't really know about this person, but I know a lot about this person. And to your point, I'm really excited to talk about what this guy did. And I know more about what this guy did, so I'm gonna just talk about what this guy did. And right, that was, that's lazy teaching on my part. That is, um, a lot of that was just out of my own ignorance. But what that, right, my, my subtle ignorance um, also subtly communicates to the women in my class, women didn't do anything in history. Um, and that's not true. And I don't want them to believe that, right? So we, So I have to make sure that we take that into account. And that's, you know, while you can, we can sit and go, well, I mean, obviously that's not true. We all know they did something, but um, I, a good friend of mine used to say, right, sometimes what you don't say speaks louder than what you do say. And so if I'm, if I'm sitting in class, you know, as a young lady and I'm listening and I'm waiting on, all right, so what did, all right, so maybe, you know, did, did we do anything here? Did we also, our country had nothing, to, women had nothing to do with the the making or the developing of the, the, the intellect or whatever of our country, um, they have to, we have to be taught that. And so I, th I think, um, being, being aware enough to, man, I almost feel like sitting down and looking at the roster at the beginning of the year and seeing who you have represented and knowing like to the best of my ability, I, I have to help make all of this matter to everyone that's in the room. And not in a way that's a stretch, not in a way that where I have to bend the facts because the facts are already there, but just in a matter of being intentional of going back to, you know, one of our favorite quotes, right? Anticipating everyone's arrival. It, it reminds me of the truth. Yeah. It reminds me of when Paul says, you know, I became all things to all people so that, you know, by doing so I might win a sum. Right. When some, you know, to the Lord, just that idea, right. To Marcus of, right. You want to be intentional, right. You want to make people 
um, have the same, you know, love for, you know, scripture, the Lord, history as you do. Um, and by connecting them to it, right, you obviously know that that's going to help them, right? If they, if they see somebody who looks like them or if they, um, you know, find, you know, kind of their place in that story as well. Um, I think, you know, part of it is, is, you know, even, even understanding maybe, you know, Hey, I've got a love for this particular, you know, uh, time period or, you know, this one individual, but there's others, you know, maybe even just recognizing that and saying that in class, right? I mean, hey, we're going to cover a lot of these different individuals, but I want you to know, right, that there are, you know, there are so many others that you need to know about, um, take the time to research them or do that. And I mean, I think that's, that's the beginning of it, right, is, is the start of understanding that, you know, that I'm not saying that, you know, your, your heart's desire is to exclude people. Um, but if you're, if you're, you know, excluding people by not even recognizing it, you need to, you know, pay attention to that and let people know that, um, you know, while we're studying this in history, and you, you may see a lot of people um, who look like me or, or, you know, sound like me, um, I think, I think it's that idea, right, that, um, you know, that, that you say to your students, um, hey, there's other people, you know, that you need to be looking at and researching and, and you know, studying as well. And I think that's, you know, that's an awareness. Now, can you go the extra step uh, and, you know, and find out about those and, and do some of the research and, and add them into your class. And, you know, we've got a number of teachers um, that are at our school that are actually doing that, right, that are asking those questions that are, you know, a history teacher that, you know, as she looked around the classroom, she noticed that, you know, all the, you know, the heroes of American history that she had up all looked alike, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, so um, can there be other pictures that we put up? And, you know, and be, by just asking those questions and, I, and, and learning um, and getting some other people to come in and have a different perspective. I know, Jenny, uh, talk about the, the walking the halls in the school, because uh, you do that, right? And, and you walk the halls and you just kind of see of, you know, what does this uh, display look like? Or what does this library, you know, situation look like uh, to somebody who comes from a different culture or comes from a different area, right? I mean, share, share about that, because that's very interesting. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, this whole discussion I'm sitting here thinking of, um, there's often a times where I just feel comfortable and I can just keep going about my life the way it is, or I can put myself in a place of stepping into someone else's shoes and, um, and getting a little bit uncomfortable and realizing the things that I don't know. And so one of the ways that we've done that is we've decided to take some hallway walks periodically throughout the year. And what we do is we just put ourselves, I guess, in the shoes of some of our prospective parents, of some of our current parents and of our students. And we look through the hallways. What are the hallway decorations saying to our students? What are they saying to our prospective students? And then how does that impact our school? What are they saying about our school? Do we see representation of the diversity that we have at our school? Do we see representation of the diversity that we want at our school? So I remember at one time, you know, we had all of our, our lower school students when they'll do their little cutouts and their little decorations on their people. At one point in time, all of them were very stark white from white paper. And then we had this big discussion, okay, not even white white people are that white, but all of our students of color would have to color themselves in if they were to be a true representation of themselves. So what if instead we had construction paper with all the beautiful shades of skin? 
And so that's kind of where we started with that. And then we started providing markers and crayons to color in all the different. So we'd go ahead and have cutouts already made and the kids could choose one of the colors that they wanted that they felt represented them best. And then they could draw themselves as they wanted using the colors and markers. And so it kind of started with that idea and then continues to go through our upper school and, um, and beyond into who's being represented. What students do we have that are being represented? I mean, you think about events and students that we have speak. Are we always calling the students that we already have relationships with? Are we always calling the students that we know well? Or are we going broader than that? I know one thing that I've talked to the newspaper and yearbook students about is, so y'all tend to stay within your friend group when you ask for quotes from students or when you take pictures of groups of students. Instead of staying in your friend group, let's go broader because there's bigger representation at our school than just your friend groups. So really looking beyond that partiality of these are the people I know, this is who I'm comfortable with and saying, okay, I need to think deeper and I need to get a little uncomfortable and realize there are things I don't know and push into that. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's one of the things that, I mean, it might even broaden your friend group, right? Imagine, you know, uh, having somebody over for dinner that, you know, doesn't go to your same church or doesn't go to your same school or doesn't go to the, you know, same place that you go to and, and meeting different people. I mean, I think we, we miss the idea of what, when Christ talks about the body, one part's an eye and one part's a foot and one part, I mean, you know, is an ear. I, I think we miss the idea Right, that you know, the church is supposed to be a wonderfully diverse yet unified because of the blood of Christ. Um, but that diversity aspect is so important that each one plays a very unique uh, and specific role, and that role is really, really important. Uh, and I think you know, as you as you broaden and diversify your friend group, uh, the relationships that you have with different people, your school population, um, you know, the teachers that you have. I mean, imagine bringing in all those different gifts from the different people groups, from the different cultures, from the different, the people who are different than you are, they bring in some different skill sets and some different abilities that, that you don't have access to because they're not there at your particular school right then, or they're not there in, in your particular friend group. And I think that's a really important reminder, just the humility of understanding that, you know, you're just the eye, right? Which, you know, is super important, but you're not the ear, you're not the nose, um, you're not the foot. So, you know, get, get to meet some new people and get some other people in there. Uh, and if, it, if the reason that they're not a part of your particular community is because you're showing partiality, that's a very dangerous thing. Then you limit the scope and the spectrum of what you're able to do because you don't have that particular skill set that God has given to somebody else. You mean the tent peg carriers are important too? Yes, they are. I will say this just as a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a caution, not, but not a, not a negative caution, but just a caution to go ahead and get prepared for this. As schools look at diversifying their schools, they will get questions, or at least we did, uh, they will probably get questions on, if you're looking at diversity at your school, are you going to show partiality to that diversity over those of us who, who might be the majority. And so you're going to have to come up with responses to that when they get the questions, well, are you going to have like a quota? Is Are those the kids that you're going to go out and attract the most? Are they going to replace um, students who look like my kid in different areas such as athletics or academics or other areas? Is my kid go not going to have the privileges that they've had for so long? So there's going to be some pushback probably as you work through this idea of partiality in your school and who you're admitting and diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
Well, you would have that in the curriculum as well as you're looking at curriculum. I mean, if you're going to tag, if you're going to add something, you're going to have to take something out. Um, you know, and it's not saying that what you're taking out is not important. It's just that what you're adding in enriches the curriculum in a way that maybe what you're taking out isn't enriching the curriculum simply because of what is reflected in your classroom. And we don't do it just because, you know, you don't pick an African-American author simply because you have an African-American kid sitting in your classroom. You pick the African-American author because the themes of their work is univer are universal. And no matter what ethnicity you belong to, no matter what social or economic group you belong to, you can connect with that universal theme if we can get ourselves beyond what we do as human beings, which is we only see the surface. The, the great Aaron Burr in Hamilton <laughs> has, has a line at the end where he, uh, I'm going to butcher it because I don't remember it exactly, but reflecting on after he takes Hamilton's life in the duel, he was like, he, right, like, if only, if only he could have realized that there was enough space in the world for both right. Hamilton and me, right? Yep. Like that there's, for whatever reason prior to it was either I get it or Hamilton gets it. He he's get this position and that was, that was mine or like, all right, well, if, well, if I get it, then he can't. And there's this, the world becomes so small when you think like that. And I think um, there's a misconception and almost, uh, like I want to I say, uh, right. When we talk about the subtleties, of this idea of, well, if we do this in admission, this is going to take away from, you know, from me or from my kids. And one in that is this assumption that it belongs to me already. Um, and then two, there's also this assumption that um, we can't both have access to the thing that either it's yours or it's mine. And I think at the, you know, at the, at the very like heart of it, like there, there's a lot of um, unhealthy thinking that has to be like extrapolated from all of that altogether of, Hey, the, 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 the question or the goal at hand is not this, this person or that person. It's how do we make, how do we make the resources and the opportunities available to more people? Demarcus, I know that that sounds great, because the principle is true, but you have to live it out when it comes down to an either or as well. So my son Parker was, was playing quarterback um, and a student from another school moved in and you couldn't have both of them be quarterback, <laughs> right? So one of them was going to be quarterback and the other one wasn't. And so, you know, the other student uh, beat out my son for quarterback and he was actually asked to be on the offensive line. And I remember when he came home, uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the offensive line. We're like, oh, my goodness, from, you know, from quarterback to an offensive lineman, there, there's, a, there's a shift uh, in reality. But you know what? He learned so much character, and it was such a great experience for him as a young man to grow um, in his uh, humility, but also be able to play and be a part of a team. It was funny how God worked it out at the end. He actually got to play quarterback in the very last game, uh, which was kind of funny. He wore number 50 and went out there and played quarterback. And, you know, everybody was just kind of laughing because he's an offensive lineman now playing quarterback. You know, a lot of people didn't remember he was a quarterback before. But even when it comes down to, because I love that, you know, the idea of, of I want, you know, enough for everybody. But even if it comes down to somebody else is going to take something that was mine, I think you're right. The idea is it wasn't mine. It's not, it's no. not mine. God's right. plan is, is bigger than that one position or that one thing or that 
you know, that one area, right? And, and just to, to realize that, uh, and I know it's hard when it's our kids, because we, we feel like somebody else's kid has come in now and they've taken something from my kid. And, and, and the reality is that, that that's not true, right? The kingdom is bigger than your kid. The kingdom work is bigger than our school. The kingdom work is bigger than my own agenda for what I have. And I think that's what we have to remember is that idea of even if, even if something happens and I don't get what I had before, God's got enough for me and I have to trust him in that. Absolutely. And I, I, I think to clarify to your point, is that the opportunity was is it's been broadened for everybody. Yep. Maybe only one person gets it or a couple people get it, but that's a lot different than you don't even get an opportunity. It's just guaranteed gonna go here. We're not even gonna fish, we're not even gonna look for applicants over there. We're not even gonna look at, you know, um, you know, potential hires that are coming from, like we're just looking in this pool, well, that just eliminates opportunity. Now we're saying, hey, we're going to broaden the net to where everyone gets an opportunity. And it, it wasn't that we like switched pools. We just broadened the pool. Um, and, and, I, and to that point, the, the not wanting the pool to be broadened speaks to this innate, like, no, like it's, you don't, my, my pool is fine just the way it is. There doesn't need to be this broader pool. Right. Because giving giving greater opportunity is going to take from me. And it's like, well, no, like if this is what God has for me, that's what he has for me. If not, then, you know, I've talked with you know some students about that of, you know, well, I'm, well, I wanted to go to this school and then these people get in. I'm not going to get in. It's like, hey, man, there's like tons of schools. Right. Your, your option isn't like you can't go to school. It's just now you're going to a different school. Yep. That's normal. Um, which. I want to say one more thing, like to that, uh, going back to even what we were talking about uh, in the classroom with partiality and how we want to um, be cautious of where we're exercising it. I think there's going to like the um, a, a, a precedence of like, why is this such an important thing for us to exercise within our, our schools? And right, part of our job as educators is educating the whole person and, you know, part of this is because I just got done watching The Social Dilemma on Netflix and it's like rocking my world. Um, but our, our students are feeding off of a system that glorifies partiality. If you don't like this, swipe left. If you don't like that, unfollow. If you don't want this, get rid of it. As a matter of fact, we'll create this algorithm. So all the stuff you do like and you do enjoy and is like you and does fit your interests, we're just going to keep throwing it at you and throwing it at you. And if you don't like something, you can just X that out and we'll stop sending it your way. And we'll just create this whole network of things that fits what you want all the time, 24-7. And it's like, that is like so like counterproductive to what the gospel is trying to create in us. Um, and what opportunity we have as an institution to be a place that says, hey, no, we're, we're going to encounter things that we don't like. Hey, sometimes we're going to talk about stuff in class. And you're like, what does this have to do with me? Honestly, absolutely nothing. But it has something to do with your brother. So actually it does. Um, and, that, and that's an important piece of life that our students need to know that every, every moment of every day in every situation doesn't have to be benefiting me in some way for me to care about it and take part in it. 
and that that's such a you know that gets back to the basic biblical truth of what we're talking about here is um right creating hearts and minds that are able to position themselves in a way where i give freely of myself so someone else can gain um even if even if there's nothing that i get in return um that's not what our culture is feeding us that's definitely not what the culture is feeding our students um and so we we got opportunity to to rewire that thinking I think it's interesting um, that what you just said, I'm thinking politically, um, we're being, we're, it's almost as if the message that we're hearing more often than not, and not just politically, just across the board, unity means we have to be 100% in agreement. If you're not 100% in agreement, then we don't have unity. We're enemies. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't see that in scripture, unity in the importance, in the important parts, of course, there are things that we cannot and we will not compromise on. You know, I, I was yeah. just hearing about, um, somebody was just talking about how uh, Portland, the city of, um, used to be such an incredibly tolerant place, and now it's become such an incredibly uh, intolerant place. And I think that, that goes to that idea, right? Unity, right? If we all have to agree on, a, on absolutely everything, right? The reality is, is, is we're not going to. And that's going to, you know, breed that that tension, where the you know the concept from Scripture we get is um, we agree on the fundamentals. I believe in Christ as my Savior, right? But there's a there's a lot of other things, um, you know, that are not central to the gospel that we're going to have some you know uh, some disagreement on, right? We're going to have some uh, diversity on and, and some different thoughts and ideas, and and you know the the ability for the family of God to be able to do that and to enjoy that and to enjoy one another uh, in a in a humble way. Um, to say that, hey, listen, I don't know everything, right? So I can appreciate your views and your values and your standpoints on some different things, right? But I'm going to hold central to the gospel on the one thing that is truly important. But then we allow for that diversity on other things that aren't central. Then that allows for a real tolerance and an ability to accept other people as God has created them and give them dignity, uh, where, you know, I think the world, what you'll see is the world doesn't have that ability to do that that tolerance that the world gives you, right, will always fall into an intolerance because people can't, they can't live up to that concept. It's not everybody's going to agree on absolutely everything. So all of a sudden you're going to disagree on something and we're going to find ourselves fighting about whatever. And you go, that's what it's going to look like. So it may look tolerant for a while, but it won't be for, for a while longer. I remember college campuses, you know, it used to be, you know, places of free speech. Now, you know, people are getting booed out and people are getting un- uninvited because they don't have the right views or the right values. And, you know, whether it's right, left or center, it doesn't matter anymore. You just you get, you know, you have to write the right thing. Otherwise, you know, somebody's going to get offended by it. And I think that's one of the things we have to be very careful of as Christians is, is not to be easily offended by people. There are two great professors um, that that show what Dan was just talking about. They're from pol- they're opposite ends of the political spectrum. Have you all heard of Dr. Robert George and Dr. Cornell West? Mm-hmm. Right. If you've ever heard them um, having dialogue, discussing, I'm amazed how often they both land at the same spot, even though they're coming from total opposite perspectives. One says the greatest influence on me has been Marxism. And the other one is like, no, my greatest influence is my faith. And yet they come together and they're like the fierce defenders of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Um, they're a great example of you can have unity, even though you don't have agreement in everything. 
and and both of them i mean both of them were raised in in the faith one has walked away to a certain degree but he has held on to that anchor that this is possible um examples can anybody come up with uh, with examples of this in scripture i know i'm putting us all on the spot because i'm putting myself on the spot what are you thinking of well i'm thinking of peter and paul Okay, that's what I was going to say. I was thinking of Peter and Paul, but I was thinking of the Gentile and Jew uh, relation in general. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that has floored me recently in looking at some of that is the very first council of the church was about what does a Gentile have to do and not have to do in order to be considered a part of the fold. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to celebrate Jewish holiday. Like they didn't have to become cultural Jews to follow Jesus. They just have to follow Jesus's mandates and stop worshiping idols, essentially. Um, and um, in sexual promiscuity. And it was like, aside from that, the, the culture that they were um, grown up in, the foods that they were accustomed to eating, the style of dress that they were accustomed to wearing, the st- the hairstyles, um, you know, the their, the music that they were accustomed to to making and enjoying, um, the 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 lifestyle, be it ornate or not, be it rule or what, right? All of the things that would create that would encompass what they were as a people all they didn't have to give those things up or change those things to be considered a part of god's people because none of those things were the point um jesus was and i just think that like for for that to have been such a um like a a a first thing for the new church they're like that was one of the first things they identify as like Hey, we got to figure this out. And then so many of Paul's letters, um, so much of them are about in, in Philippians. He's telling them, right, have this mindset among you, which is which is yours in Christ. Right. That what he do, he humbled himself. Um, he talks about in um, uh, what is it? Not called, Ephesians, just the, the unity that Christ has brought in us. And he urges us to be in unity with one another. And he talks about what that looks like in different relations. When you look at the Corinthians and how he's instructing them to conduct themselves in the church, um, he's dealing with this idea of, of unity and these different worship styles where some people are trying to do this and some people are trying to do that. And it's like the, the whole working, um, which makes sense why the greatest commandment is the love of God. And after that, to love neighbor, right? Part of loving neighbor is I have to figure out how I, in community with other human beings, can live in a way that is peaceably and that that will be a testament to the nation about our God. Like that is that has become such a, a huge um, encouragement to me that that right. If we just kind of go zoom out big picture that it's like Christ has called us right as individuals, but he has called us into a community of people. And he's called that community of people to live in community in such a way that when other people look at it, they say, man, I want to be a part of that. Right. He doesn't say they'll know you that you're my disciples by your church attendance. They'll know that you're my disciples by your scripture memorization 
or by your, you know, uh, moral perfection. And I, right, he said, they'll know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And that, that there is there is something that testifies about the goodness of God to see people who are different and from all tribes and tongues and think differently and act differently and enjoy different things, but can commune over something as central as Christ, that people are drawn to that. Um, and it's like, it's, it's all over our Bible. Like it's everywhere. Um, that it, it's Jesus reconciling all things to himself. It's, that is what he's doing. Um, and he has invited us, right? Second Corinthians 5, 20, right? To be ambassadors of reconciliation as well. All right, that's before that. 520 is a different verse, but it's in five. <laughs> you know, I never thought about the fact that, that Peter probably didn't speak the same as Paul. You know, being a fisherman, he probably had, he, his, 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 his grammar might not have always been correct. Yes. And that, that never dawned on me until now when we were discussing this, I wonder if anyone ever looked askance at Peter and if they, if, if they were ever tempted to be partial against Paul because he spoke properly. Most well, likely. I don't know too much about Greek, but I know from my friends who did know Greek that, that Paul's Greek is a lot different than Peter's Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, just like with every podcast, we never know which direction we're going to go. And it's always fun to see which path we take. Um, but I think one thing that we can definitely take away from this is that within institutions, um, there is definitely partiality shown. And we can say it in different ways. We can talk about how people fit into our culture, how we think curriculum fits well, many different areas into which it plays out. And so, but if we believe that Christian schools, if we believe that we truly are here to educate the next generation, to have them stand strong on the faith and values of the Bible, and that we are training them to be the leaders, it would be wise of us to spread that net of opportunity, like Tamarcus said, that why should it be for just one group? Why would we not include all of God's children in that group? And how do we do that well is the big question. So thanks for joining us for another podcast. And I hope you join us again. Who knows? what that podcast will be about or who knows how that dialogue will go but hopefully it'll be entertaining bye thank you for listening to grace 360 as always the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature we hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode you can find us on social media We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, thank you for listening to Grace 360.